Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Earlier today, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, FOMC, began their two-day meeting. It concludes tomorrow, and at 2 o'clock, they will announce their decision on interest rates. Now, nobody is anxiously awaiting that announcement. I mean, nobody is foolish enough at this point to believe the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates tomorrow. Although there were plenty of fools a few months ago who actually believed the Federal Reserve would be raising interest rates. In fact, they thought they were going to raise them in March. And then when they didn't, there are a lot of people who still thought they might do it in April. But now I don't think there's any fool left who believes in April. But some of these fools still believe that the Fed is going to hike rates later in the year, maybe June, maybe June, September and December. There are still people like Goldman Sachs who are looking for three rate hikes this year. You know, one person who isn't a fool, Jim Rickards, who I have a lot of respect for, I was on a panel with him a couple months ago. And back then, Jim Rickards argued with me because he believed the Fed was going to raise rates two, if not three times uh, during 2016. I said the Fed wasn't going to raise rates at all. Well, today I posted an interview that he gave on Bloomberg. Now Jim Rickards says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, Janet Yellen has gone super dove And she's not going to raise rates. Now, the reason that Jim Rickard disagreed with me on that panel a couple of months ago, and it wasn't because he thought I was wrong on the economy. He agreed with me. He said, Peter, you're right. The economy is very weak. But what he thought was that the Fed wasn't going to recognize it, that he thought the Fed actually believed that the economy was getting better. And because they believed that, they would raise rates anyway And their rate hikes would cause a recession, and then they would abort the increases, and then they would go back to zero and do QE4, all the things that I think are going to happen. I said, no, Jim, I don't think so. I think we're going to skip all the rate hikes and go directly to rate cuts and and QE4. And now I think Jim has joined me in, in that perspective. Now, the question is, will the Federal Reserve actually admit that the economy is that weak or just not raise rates, which is tantamount? to an admission of weakness, because after all, 
if the Fed believed the economy was strong, they would be raising rates, which is what Rickards thought they would do earlier, what a lot of people still think they're going to do now. But I think there's very, very a slim chance that the Fed is going to be raising rates, especially with the economy as weak as it is. You know, we're going to get the first official look at first quarter GDP on Thursday. And there's a good chance that we're going to print a negative number. And even if we don't print a negative number, it's going to be a single-digit number, a number less than one. And by the time they revise it the following month, which will incorporate all the bad news that came out subsequent to Thursday that still bears on the first quarter, I think they're going to revise it negative, and which means we're in a recession. Because if the first quarter is negative, and I said this before on earlier podcasts, I don't believe that we're going to get a bounce back in the second quarter like we did the last two years. I think the first quarter is the high watermark and it's downhill from here. I think the second quarter is going to be weaker than the first quarter, regardless of how weak the first quarter is. That's because we borrowed growth from the first quarter because we had the warmest winter in 120 years, as opposed to a Arctic freeze like we had the last couple of, uh, of winters, because companies are now winding down their bloated inventories that they built up the last couple of years by mistake, and because the trade deficits are getting bigger, uh, not smaller. So I think we have a lot weighing down GDP in the second quarter, in an already weak economy. And by the way, the Atlanta Fed came out today and they revised up their forecast for the GDP number that we're going to get on Thursday. And they went from 0.3 to 0.4. Now, why did they do that? Because this is the second time that the Atlanta Fed has upwardly revised their first quarter estimate, despite the fact that the economic data has gotten worse between their last estimate and their most recent revision. So if the data gets worse and you thought the economy was going to be at one level and now you got data that is worse than you had before, why would you upwardly revise your forecast? Why wouldn't the data that was worse than you thought cause you to downwardly revise your forecast? Now, to me, something's going on over there at the Atlanta Fed again. I mean, they got their minds right. Maybe it's the boys at the New York Fed putting pressure on them to be more optimistic. But we'll see because we're going to get the first official numbers on um, on Thursday. But let me just go over some of the economic data that's come out just since my last podcast. I did a podcast on Thursday. On Friday last week, we got the PMI flash index for April. Now, this is not a first quarter number. This is one of the first numbers we're getting about the second quarter, and it ain't pretty, right? The consensus was for an improvement. March was 51.4. Everybody was looking for 52. What did we get? 50.8. We're getting closer and closer to 50 even. It was a weak number. It was much weaker than anybody thought, certainly much weaker than the Atlanta Fed thought. The lowest estimate was 51.5. We blew that away at 50.8. So we are already off to a weak start. Now, that, again, doesn't affect your first quarter estimate, but it gives you an idea about how bad things are. But let's look at the numbers that came out yesterday and today. That are first quarter numbers. First of all, new home sales missed. They were looking for 522,000. We got 511,000. So that was a miss. The Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey, the General Activities Index, which was minus 13.6 in uh, March, they were looking for an improvement to minus nine. 
in April, and instead we got minus 13.9. So that went the other way. Again, this is not a, this is not a first quarter number. It's a second quarter number, but it was weaker than estimates. But the big number that should have caused the Dallas Fed to go down was durable goods. It was an ugly durable goods number, especially relative to what everybody thought. And this was for March and February because we got some pretty big revisions. So first, let's go over the March numbers. They were looking for an increase in durable goods of 1.6. Instead, the increase was half as much, just 0.8%. And the year-over-year number, we got minus 2.5, which was a pretty big negative number. The ex-transportation number, month-over-month, they were looking for up 0.5. We got minus 0.2. It's a bad number. And then if you look at these overall year-over-year numbers, core capital goods were down, I think, for the 16th consecutive month. That hasn't happened in the last 60 years unless we were in a recession. We got minus 2.4% year-over-year. Big, big negative number. But the revisions were worse. February, new orders, durable goods orders, were originally reported as down 2.8. That was downwardly revised to down 3.1%. So not only did we not bounce back 1.6 from the minus 2.8, we only bounced back 0.8 from a bigger minus 3.1. And X transportations last month was originally reported as minus 1 or February. Now they say it's minus 1.3, much bigger number. Here, core capital goods were initially reported as down 0.1. They revised it to down 0.8. So across the board, all these numbers were made worse. And the Atlanta Fed didn't seem to care. They decided to take these terrible numbers and increase their estimate for first quarter GDP. Meanwhile, we got some more news today that wasn't good. We got the um, PMI flash service. That was okay. We got Richmond Fed. And that was, you know, it jumped up to 22 in, uh, in March, but it crashed back down to just 14 in April. They were looking for 12, so a little bit better. But consumer confidence came out quite a bit lower than estimate for the month of April. They were looking for 96, and instead we got 94.2. So consumers losing confidence. But, you know, the most important number on the day was that durable goods number, which really should have uh, caused the Fed to, to take notice, at least at the Atlanta Fed. The markets, on the other hand, are really acting as if they are figuring out what's going on. I mean, the markets have got stagflation written all over them. First of all, oil. Oil had a big up day today, up better than $2 a barrel. We're at $44.66 for crude. This is the highest price of the year. Yet despite this big jump in oil prices, the Dow Jones was barely up. It was up 13, and the Nasdaq was down 7.5. So we're decoupling. Right. The stock market is not necessarily being driven by the oil market. We had a huge rise in oil prices, yet it didn't benefit the overall stock market. It benefited oil stocks. Certainly oil stocks benefited, but the overall stock market did not. But, you know, the stock market's got even more problems, particularly the Nasdaq for tomorrow, because after the bell, Apple reported earnings way below estimates. In fact, they reported the first ever decline in iPhone sales. The stock is trading down about 8.5% in after-hours trading as I am recording this. Of course, it's taking NASDAQ futures down about 60 points. And this has been 
uh, par for the course. A lot of big companies have been coming out with earnings that are less than expected. Meanwhile, you have a stock market that priced that is priced for perfection, and we're getting anything from that. So the only thing that can support this market is the Federal Reserve, and they're going to try their best. They're going to print as much money as they have to to keep this market from imploding. But when they do that, they, they seal the fate of the U.S. dollar because they can only prop up the market by sacrificing the dollar. But if you don't want to be sacrificed with it, you got to do something to protect yourself. The dollar was weak across the board today. The dollar was down against just about every currency that you would want to follow. The dollar index, though, still back above 94, though it did rise above 95 a couple days ago. But it closed at 94 and a half. Gold and silver prices continue to be firm. Gold stocks, the GDX index was up about 2.36%. Both gold and silver higher on the day. But to me, these markets look as if they're poised for another big, big move up any day. In fact, the catalyst might be tomorrow if we get a dovish statement by the uh, FOMC. We're not going to get a press conference, but they are going to release you know, a written statement. And that could be a catalyst. Also, the GDP, a negative print on Thursday for Q1 GDP could be a huge catalyst down for the dollar, up for the price of um, of gold, up for the price of oil. But probably the most disturbing thing, if I was uh, on the Fed, would be what's happening with long-term interest rates. Take a look at the yields on the 30-year U.S. Treasury. We're now at the highest yield we've been in about three months. The last time yields were this high was early February. So yeah, maybe not quite three months, but this is the highest we've been since I think maybe February 1st or February 2nd in the yield on the uh, the 30-year treasury. And why are yields rising? Because the economic data is getting weaker, right? The, the date at which the Fed is going to be raising rates is being pushed back further and further down the horizon. Yet, why are interest rates rising? Because the bond market smells inflation. They smell stagflation. And in fact, if you didn't think the Fed was going to do QE to stimulate the economy, they're going to have to do QE4 to stop interest rates from rising. But it might not work because having to print more money and the market's figuring out that this means it's an endless program, that there never is a, an exit, that it's just QE infinity, it might not even work. But the Federal Reserve can't let long-term interest rates go up. What's that going to do to the housing market? You know, consumers are already struggling with rising rents. The Fed doesn't want homeowners to be struggling with rising adjustable rate mortgage payments. And, of course, the Fed also wants the refi merry-go-round to keep going round and round. If rates spike up, there go all the refis. Meanwhile, rising oil prices has got to be scaring the Fed. Because cheap gas was all the consumer had going for them. Now that's going away. Oil prices are rising. Gas prices are going up. Every time you go now and fill up your car, it's going to be more money. Every time. Probably every time between now and the election. Because the dollar's going down. That means oil prices going up. And that's not going to be good for an economy that's already suffering. Again, we benefited from cheap oil. It's just that there were so many other negatives that it was hard to see the oil windfall. Well, now oil's going from a tailwind to a headwind but now you've got all these other things healthcare costs insurance food all the other prices are going up and i think what the fed is going to be doing is forgetting about this inflation ceiling forget about this two percent 
They're going to be out there talking about why we need more inflation. Maybe they'll raise it to 3%. Maybe they'll say we need 4%. Because when we go back into recession, they're going to have to pull out the stops. Are they going to bring out the helicopter money? They're starting to talk about that because we're not going to get a lot of rate cuts. We don't have a lot of distance. There's not a lot of a daylight between where we are now and zero. See, that's why they're talking about negative rates. But I think the Fed is going to be reluctant uh, to bring out that bazooka. I think they're going to hold off on negative rates until QE4 fails. Then I think they're going to go negative. That'd be my guess. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll do negative rates before they do QE4. But they already have a history of doing QE. So I would imagine, since they think it worked so well in the past, that they would try it again. But I think it's going to be a failure. And not that it ever succeeded. It just covered up the problems. Because, again, we are sicker than we were in 2008. The Fed's cure did not create a healthy economy. It created an addict. It made the economy worse. And as we tried to take the drugs away is when we start to see just how much worse the Fed made it. But nobody really wants to acknowledge that yet. But it seems like the markets are figuring this out. Because when you see the bond market going down, the oil market going up, the dollar going down, gold prices going up, this is a sign of stagflation, a sign that the markets are starting to figure out the box that the Fed is in. And of course, this box is going to get tighter and tighter on Thursday when we get these GDP numbers. And of course, there's more economic data that's going to be coming out. And all the data is worse than expected. In fact, I think the economic surprise index, which is measures how much the, uh, the, the data veers from expectations. And I think it's some kind of record for it being bad, below expectations. In fact, every time there's bad news, all the headlines are it's unexpected, unexpectedly lower, unexpectedly worse, unexpectedly weaker. When are they going to expect the unexpected? Because I'm, I'm, I'm always expecting the bad news. When I'm surprised is when every once in a while we get a data point that's better than expected. When it's worse than expected, that's exactly what I'm thinking is going to happen. But you still have everybody living under this delusion that the, the economy is fine, that the recovery is on track. Well, that is going to die. And in fact, it's already starting. Remember, when the year ended, the most crowded trade in the hedge fund community was long the dollar, rather, short the currencies. Everybody was long the dollar. Well, now, for the first time in a couple of years, hedge funds are net short. They've just started to figure it out. But there's still a lot of fools that are still holding on to their dollars. There's still a lot of people betting on three rate hikes. There's still a bunch of fools that are short gold like Goldman Sachs. So the majority of them haven't capitulated yet. They will. They're going to. They're going to be shocked. All of a sudden, it's going to be like an epiphany because, you know, it's they're going to find out, oh, the economy is weak. We're in recession. The Fed's cutting rates. We're not going to get rate hikes. Oh, the Fed's not finished with QE. We're getting more QE. The balance sheet's not going to go down. It's going to go up. And then when they figure this out, they might realize, wait a minute, if the Fed couldn't end QE after seven years, when can they ever end it? If they couldn't raise interest rates uh, in, in, in 2016, are they ever going to raise rates? Will the economy ever be strong enough for higher rates? And the answer to that question is no. It's like, will a heroin addict ever be able to stay high without his heroin? The answer is no. If you want to stay high, you got to stay on the sauce. The only way to, to kick the drug habit is to go through withdrawal. And that's what we have to do. We didn't create a healthy economy. The Fed inflated a bubble, a phony economy addicted to cheap money, and they can't take away the cheap money without killing the economy. But of course, 
We got to kill that economy because it's not real. It is a bubble. It doesn't create real economic wealth. That is why the public is so frustrated. That is why so many people are voting Bernie Sanders and voting Donald Trump. By the way, I voted today. We had the, the Connecticut primaries. I don't have the results yet. I voted for Ted Cruz. He's probably going to come in third. You know, I get Kasich will probably do pretty well here. I haven't even seen any polls in Connecticut, but uh, they're pretty liberal states. So maybe I'm sure there's a lot of Trump supporters. A lot of people, the Republican Party here, you know, went for Linda McMahon. So a lot of them will probably uh, vote for Donald Trump. But I, I voted for Cruz. But the reason so many people are voting uh, for you know, desperation candidates is because these are desperate times and they call for desperate solutions. And whether it's a socialist or a populist, anybody promising something different is going to appeal to a lot of people because they know how bad this economy really is. Meanwhile, I think the markets are this proverbial coiled spring at this point. I think a big move is coming shortly in the currency markets, in the precious metals markets, in the energy markets. And you need to act quickly to position yourself to not only profit from this, but you know to avoid being on the losing end of what's going to happen. I think we're going to see one of the biggest drops in the dollar in the shortest period of time. And the same thing, we're going to see one of the most spectacular rises in the price of gold and price of silver, because so many people who are still wedded to the old narrative are going to change their mind very, very quickly. And when this happens, you get big moves, right? When everybody thinks one thing, and then as a group, they all realize that they're wrong and they have to do the opposite of what they were doing, right? You have huge, violent moves in the market. And that's what I think is going to happen. You know, that the big short on the subprime market the reason that the people who shorted subprime made so much money is because so few people were on the right side of that trade. And the reason the people who own those mortgages lost so much money is because they didn't recognize the toxicity of what they owned until it was too late. They all figured it out at the same time. They all rushed for the exits and there were no exits. That's what's going to happen now with the dollar. The difference is, you know, if you weren't short mortgages, all right, so you didn't get rich. You didn't get broke, right? You didn't go broke because you didn't get rich. But this is different because if you are in the dollar and you don't get out, right, you're going to go broke. It's not just a question of making money by recognizing that there's a dollar bubble and shorting the dollar by owning gold, owning silver, owning foreign currencies, owning foreign stocks. But if you just sit in the dollar, then you lose because the dollar loses its value. And so you're you're a victim. You're a loser if you don't do the trade, if you didn't do uh, the subprime short and you kept your dollars in the bank, you didn't lose anything. Your dollars were there. In fact, your dollars got more valuable. If you were in cash in the 2008 financial crisis, you were a winner because everything went down. Stocks went down. You could have bought them cheaper. Gold went down. You could have bought it cheaper. You were a winner if you were in cash. This next crisis, if you're in cash, you're going to be the biggest loser. So you got to do something. A lot of people think, oh, I'm on the sidelines. I'm in cash. You're not on the sidelines. You're right in the field, and you're in a very dangerous position because the dollar, I think, is one of the most vulnerable assets in the world, certainly probably the most vulnerable of the major currencies. So you got to get off that field of play. If you really want to get in the sidelines, you got to do it in something like gold or a foreign currency, although I guess there are no sidelines anymore. you got to just figure, you know, where on the field you want to position yourself. Where do you think you've got uh, the most upside with the least downside? And when I'm talking downside, I'm talking about purchasing power. 
I'm not talking about like, you know, can you lose dollars? Yes. If you've got your money in some kind of a CD, technically you have no downside, right? You're not going to lose your dollars, but your dollars can lose a lot of their purchasing power. And that's what you want. Nobody wants dollar bills just so they can stack them up and count them. You want dollar bills because you can buy things with them. And if you can't buy very much with them, then you've lost, even if you still have them. So if you're really concerned, you got to do something. Now, I know a lot of people who listen to these podcasts, a lot of you are clients at Europe Pacific Capital. Uh, you buy gold for me at Shift Gold. But this is the time, you know, before the dollar loses much more value. And as I said, the trajectory of the decline, I think, is going to steepen. And the sooner that you can move more of your dollars abroad, get more money into Switzerland, into New Zealand, into Singapore, into Hong Kong, get more money into gold stocks, silver, gold, physical metals, the better. Because as the prices really start to accelerate, people are going to start to think that they've missed the opportunity, that they've missed the train. The sooner that you can get positioned, the better. Don't wait for the Fed to admit that this is a recession. Because then the dollar will be way lower. Don't wait for the Fed to cut rates to zero because then it will be lower still. Certainly don't wait for the Fed to launch QE4 because the dollar will be way down by then. And don't wait for negative rates. I mean, who knows how much lower the dollar is going to be when the Fed goes negative. So before all this happens, add to your accounts. Get more money into your accounts to get out of the dollar. If you've got a bunch of cash, I know I still have a lot of clients that are still sitting on a lot of cash. Do something with it. Recognize the risk in those money markets. You're not earning any interest, but inflation is going to decimate your purchasing power. Not just inflation as measured by government statistics, but the real purchasing power of your money, and certainly as measured by other foreign currencies and as measured by gold. But a lot of people who listen aren't clients yet. You know, don't wait any longer. You know, don't uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. We've had a gift horse for a while. We've had a sale on foreign assets because of the overvalued dollar. The dollar's not going to stay overvalued much longer. Don't wait for Goldman Sachs to capitulate. Get rid of your dollars before Goldman Sachs gets rid of their dollars. And certainly, you got to get rid of your dollars before foreign central banks, before uh, the Chinese want to get rid of their dollars, before the Saudis want to get rid of their dollars. They're certainly talking about it. But the dollar's been holding up thanks to all the speculators who have been betting on a U.S. recovery and have been betting on the Fed. Well, they've been betting wrong. Just like the people who bet on subprime bet wrong. Just like the people who bet on the dot-coms in the 1990s bet wrong. This is the biggest bubble. It is the mother of all bubbles. And more people have bet on this bubble probably than any other bubble. And they're just as wrong. And they're about to lose even more money now than they lost in those prior bubbles. But the window of opportunity for the people who understand that understand what the real next big short is. It's not a particular stock. It's the dollar itself. It's the U.S. economy. It's the Federal Reserve. What we're really shorting when we buy gold and buy foreign currency is we're shorting Janet Yellen. And she's short enough as it is, but we're shorting her ability, her credibility, their, their ability, the Fed, to micromanage the economy successfully because we know they can't because there is no historical precedence for them ever getting it right. And in fact, the reason that the Europeans even did QE is because it's, it theoretically works so well here. Because remember, the ECB resisted QE for a long time while we were doing it. It was only until after we claimed it was such a success that they had the courage or the stupidity to try it over there. But when we have to do it again, that's an admission that it failed. When we're back at zero, when we're doing QE4, I think the world's going to wake up. And I think Europe... And even maybe Japan might end their QE programs before we do. In fact, Europe, the ECB may raise interest rates before the Fed. Because remember, their inflation target is 1.9. 
They always Draghi always says that. He says, we want inflation to be close to but below 2%. That's what they say. We don't have a, a hard ceiling like that. We can go anywhere, and we will go anywhere, right? But the ECB can't. The Bundesbank will not let the ECB let inflation go above 1.9%. When it does, there's no more negative rates in Europe. They're going to be jacking those rates up. You know, a lot of people who are gobbling up these zero-coupon or zero-yielding uh, European bonds because they think the ECB is going to buy them off if you had a negative rate, I tell you, if the dollar keeps falling, even though that means the euro is rising, it means commodity prices are going to be rising faster than the euro. And when commodity prices really start to spike up because of a weak dollar, even though the euro is strengthened against the dollar, those commodity prices will be going up in euro terms. And that's going to take the inflation, the headline numbers up quickly in the eurozone. And that's going to take away all the impetus, all the justification uh, for cheap money over there. But it's not going to take it away here because the Fed is trapped between a rock and a hard place because we're broke. We can't raise interest rates. We're just starting a brand new recession. And the Fed's going to have to figure out a way to rationalize this, come up with a whole new game plan uh, to, to not acknowledge that what they did was a mistake, but to do it again and to say, hey, we just need more, uh, a little bit more to make sure that the patient is fully recovered. But it is going to require massive QE to keep interest rates artificially low to keep the stock market artificially levitated. The casualty is going to be the dollar. We'll see what happens in the bond market. I would be very, very nervous if I was the Fed looking at the action of long-term treasury bonds, looking at yields rising, even as the economy is weakening, and even as they're going out of their way to, to reassure everybody that they're going to be very slow in how they raise rates. The bond market is not buying it. So in conclusion, I just would not wait. Just all of the signs are there. All of the market signs are there. All the economic signs are there. I mentioned earlier that the first quarter of 2016 was the worst year for actively managed accounts in about 18 years because everybody was positioned for the wrong outcome. Most people are still positioned for the wrong outcome. But as they all try to reposition at the same time, there are going to be huge, huge moves, and I think that day is coming soon. So my advice, anybody listening, is don't get caught in a stampede. Try to move ahead of the herd. So if you haven't already done so, if you still got money in the sidelines, if you haven't opened up an account, do it before your time runs out. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make TruthinMedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit TruthinMedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. 
Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.